A lot of people feeling a little bit let down, although lots of people taking great comfort in the fact that Canada scored its first goal at uh, FIFA in the World Cup of Soccer. Do we have the audio of that, Nick? Here, let's listen. with the cross in towards Alfonso Davies! And then the Croatians scored four times, so it didn't exactly end the way we wanted it to. Uh, Scott Reed, CTV political analyst, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin, joins us on a Monday morning for the morning brief. Uh, Scott, what were you watching the game yesterday? If so, what's your take? You know, t- tragically, I was unable to watch. My, my son had a rare practice followed by an exhibition game. So all the parents were mumbling and grumbling that we couldn't watch the game. We thought about abandoning our children and all collectively going to a bar. But instead, we sort of sat around and <clears throat> we listened to we listened to TSN on our phones and then, you know, sort of whispered uh, updates to each other there on the uh, side of the rink. Um, yeah, you know, I was I was so excited when we scored early thinking my god maybe this could happen but then you know our midfield got chewed up like bubblegum at a kids party it was just uh just just really rough but celebi yeah yeah and i i don't know i'm not, i'm not gonna i keep thinking of that famous commercial where the mom's making cocoa for the kid and she says how'd the game go he says we lost again she says did you try hard he says yeah and then they smile and they drink cocoa and i thought no i don't think so you still lost the game yeah i was frustrated like I really wanted to advance and I was so excited. We, you know, uh, the tragedy of what happened with Belgium now sort of looms even larger. And, but what can you do? I mean, you know, Croatia was better. Like they were flat out better. That was obvious. That was obvious to a dude sitting in an ice rink, listening with one AirPod in. I could tell that our midfield was getting absolutely wiped by Croatia. So you can't, you can't feel badly about losing when you just are not as good as the other team. And uh, how did your son do? Uh, they won commandingly, as a matter of fact, against right. a uh, what was notionally a better team. So that was pleasing as well. Excellent. Okay, so let's wind ourselves back to Friday. Justin Trudeau uh, testifying at the inquiry into the declaration of the Emergencies Act. Here's just a portion of what he had to say. But it was clear that it wasn't that they just wanted to be heard. They wanted to be obeyed. They wanted us to change public policy, public health policy designed uh, to help Canadians. And we're going to occupy uh, locations across this country and interfere with the lives of Canadians until such a decision was taken. So, Scott, for those people who were hoping, as they often do, that Justin Trudeau would flop on the stand or, you know, have a Jack Nicholson moment where he loses his mind, uh, did not happen. And for those who support the Declaration of the Emergencies Act, it was probably a pretty good day. Yeah, I mean, I look at it as the punctuation to a long week where you got something you almost never see. Um, a group of ministers, uh, you know, and, and concluded by a prime minister speaking in open, in an open circumstance under oath uh, and for hours at a stretch. And I really think the government came through virtually unscathed. I'm talking just as a political exercise. We'll see what the determination of the commissioner is. But, you know, as you say, there was massive political risk there. So people, you know, could have seen you know, Justin Trudeau confronted by the convoy lawyer and they might have, you know, had this unbelievable uh, 
you know, you had no, I had no options for a moment, but none of that came to fruition. Trudeau looked completely in control, completely composed. I think the essential fundamental shift that the government made this week that it had fumbled at previously was that it openly and without apology accepted responsibility for the decision and demonstrated that it had taken it carefully. Now, you may still disagree with it, but the prime minister in particular went through all the steps that he went through, all of the options, all of the advice that he weighed. And so he sounded thoughtful, reasonable, composed. He didn't sound like a rash ideologue. He didn't sound like a nut. He was intending on stripping people of their powers. So, you know, to be honest with you, I thought the prime minister just absolutely lapped um, his opponents. And frankly, you know, like it was so bad for the convoy, they couldn't even put their lawyer up after the buffoon show that he'd had all last week. They then hooked the guy at the very moment moment when he's supposed to cross the prime minister. So I think it was, um, you know, from a political perspective, a pretty commanding victory by the PM. Well, and also, if we can revisit some things you had to say before it happened, uh, we were talking about how you prepare a cabinet minister or the prime minister for something like this. Clearly, he was very carefully prepared, and in particular about sort of the tone and posture that he had through the whole thing. Never lost his cool, never got agitated. Um, he also took advantage of the forum. It's very different, the uh, forum. It permits you to answer questions at some length, to demonstrate consideration, to explore what you were thinking at the time and try to give context. That doesn't happen when you're getting yelled at in a political scrum. That doesn't happen even when you're sitting at a press conference in the National Gallery. And it certainly doesn't happen when your opponent is barking at you like a seal in the House of Commons question period. So I thought all that stuff the tone, the tenor, uh, the consideration. It was actually a kind of Trudeau that you don't get to see that often. I mean, for those who like to think, oh, that guy's a dummy, he's just a drama teacher. Well, he didn't look like a drama teacher to me, not that drama teachers should be considered uh, in ill ways, but I mean, he looked like a really thoughtful, responsible leader. Again, you may want not want to vote for him, you may hate the way he handled it, but he, he really dominated uh, that setting. Okay, I'll be curious to see if you agree with me that this is the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning for Donald Trump. But uh, on the weekend at Mar-a-Lago, he had dinner with Ye, which I suppose is slightly defensible. Uh, but the also along for the ride was a guy named Nick Fuentes. Let me play you a portion of Nick Fuentes, who is so outrageously anti-woman, anti-gay and racist that I've never played a portion of him on this show. Not because I'm afraid of that content, it's just because I never considered him to be a player, but there he is meeting with a former president. We need to go back to burning women alive more. Like when they're convicted of crimes, obviously, not, not random acts of violence, but when women were witches, what happened to them? They were burned alive. And we stopped doing that, and then everything went out of control. You know, we said, oh, that was such a horrible tragedy. We really need to stop burning these women alive for, for casting spells. And then guess what happened? They started casting their spells again. They started speaking in devilish tongues and casting spells. And now we've got a totally f***ed up society where the women are molesting your kids in primary schools. All right. That's enough of that. Um, this is the guy who had dinner with Donald Trump on the weekend. And Trump says, well, I didn't know who he was. Really? Nobody could have told you ahead of time? Yeah, Donald Trump always says that he's the smartest person in the world, that he's able to master any subject in a few moments until and unless he gets challenged and it's uncomfortable for him, in which case he says, well, I didn't know nothing. And so, you know, you're asking me what's the political fallout. You know, I, I hate to say it. Um, 
But the truth of the matter is, for his supporters, I think there'll be virtually none. There seems we have if he if there is a an act that for which he will not be forgiven, rationalized, tolerated, we have yet to witness it. And so I think the real question is, you know, will reasonable Republicans who secretly fear that Donald Trump will lose them the next general election, is this a sort of thing that allows them to say, aha, you know, like we can openly now declare that we're not for him. And, you know, the answer is no. Not, not even any of the candidates who would, would who would likely run against him have actually stood up and said something that like, you know what, that that's wrong. That guy's crackers. They don't. And and the reason they don't is they fear not just the hold that Trump has over the party, but the way in which they've allowed their party to become so dominated at the grassroots level by people who either agree with that kind of garbage or who are willing to consider that kind of garbage. So, you know, in all honesty, yes, it's objectionable. Yes, we should say, sorry, this is a disqualifying thing. But I still think that if I was going to bet $100, I'd bet 55 of them that Trump will be the GOP nominee. I, I think that's how strong his hold is over the party. And I think that's how wackadoodle that party has permitted itself to become institutionally. See, I disagree, but I want to get to one last story. I'll, I'll give my thoughts later on in the show. A uh, French worker who says he was fired because he didn't spend enough time socially with his co-workers has actually won uh, a court case to be reinstated. So effectively, they're calling it the right to be boring. Well, if... Like, I don't think we have to look to this example. I mean, I've been co-hosting shows on News Talk 1010 for probably 10, 15 years now. And I think that I've spotted people who've won the right to be boring well before this fellow. So um, I thought it was established law. Look, if you look at the headline, what can you say? Like, this guy was refusing to participate in, like, you know, those forced party, company party things. Okay, we're all going to have a retreat. We're going to play a little game. Everybody gets a number. Okay, now you have to kiss Amy, and Amy has to kiss Bob, and ha, 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 it's all in fun. All right, everybody do six shooters now. Like, we should be able to opt out of those things. You know, it doesn't make him a – it doesn't doesn't make the guy, uh, a, you know, a, a scold just because he doesn't want to, like, you know, get drunk and play water game beds with, uh, you know, Alice from accounting. So, uh, you know, good on him for winning it. Um, I like to have fun at work. I don't really want to get drunk uh, necessarily with all my pals at work. Uh, and I certainly hate all those contrived, all right, now we're going to have – I went to one of these things, by the way. That I went to a retreat where it was, like, facilitated and we had to break and then do like little exercises together now it wasn't like forced to drink but even that made me want to just put my head through a window okay these are some office parties that you've been to it's not not a bell office party but anyway thanks a lot sir good to have you you too cheers